continue to take a look at what the Lord has for us. As he, he comes to his conclusion in Matthew uh, chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the greatest teaching ever given on the ethics of the kingdom of God and what it is that God's looking for from you and me. A lot of times we get this idea, and, and I don't know where it comes from or what we can do about it, but we get this idea, you know, that we come before the Lord and we, we cast our cares on Him. We confess our sin. We ask for Him to save us, and somehow we think that's the end of the journey. That's it. But that's not it. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus laid out the ethics of the kingdom. He laid out the character of his people. Now, if you read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, you as well as I will come to realize, uh, I don't have that character. I'm not that person. And sometimes we get this idea that, that because I don't measure up to those requirements of the Lord, uh, you know, I think I'll just sit back, stay safe. Make sure, you know, I got my bases covered. I got, uh, I got fire insurance, you know. Jesus uh, said if I call on his name, he'd save me. Everything's okay. And we begin to tell ourselves that th- these excuses, we begin to give ourselves excuses and not to progress, not to move forward with God, not to see God work in our lives and not to have that thing that Jesus came in and promised. You know, Jesus came and he said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And if we're not experiencing that abundant life, that doesn't necessarily mean a life full of everything good and nothing bad. It means that we have that unstoppable Zoe, that unstoppable life force, that spirit of God working inside of us to wash away all the ways we fall short. Wash all that junk out. God wants to do that work. And as he finishes the Sermon on the Mount, he immediately goes from the concept of the ethics or the character of the kingdom. And he says, hey, here's the power of the king. And immediately, Matthew goes to Matthew 8, chapter or chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, immediately goes to the healing of the leper. And as we look at these first three healings, we talked a lot about the leper and leprosy last week. We won't get into that again. But the idea is... Jesus goes immediately to the outcast. We got any outcasts here? That's the first place he goes. Because he can do a lot in the life of someone who's reached their bottom and says, Lord, save me. Change the chaos of my life. The leper we saw was an outcast. Nobody wanted to touch him. Nobody wanted to see him. Nobody wanted to be around him. Hey, I can relate to that. 1987, 88, I was diagnosed with HIV. That's the closest thing to leprosy today. There was not a soul. There's people who had kids that would never come over to the house again. That's it. Unclean. Back in those days, if you sneezed on somebody, you were spreading that. There was all this, this garbage. And if you look at my life, all you would have said about my, my life was, he deserves it. 
I hope it gets him. There's not one person, not one person other than my wife that cared whether or not God did anything other than take me for the kind of person I was. And of all the people on the planet, she was the last one who should have felt that way. But there she was. Even more important than that, there was God with the outcasts. The soul of a young man who said, you know what, I'm so mad at God, I'm so irritated about the things that that God does and why things happen the way they happen. And so forget it, I'm done, forget it. God, if you're not going to make life better, then I'm going to go take control of my own life and I'll do my own thing. And I'll live a life wild and free. And maybe my life won't be great, but it'll be my choice and my decisions and my decisions and my choice got me in Bethesda Army Hospital with HIV. Be careful having that attitude of rebellion against God because you don't understand the things that are happening in life. God knows. He's got the answers. He'll do the work. God met me in that place. He came to the outcast. He came to the one nobody else wanted to go to. Let me tell you, Bethesda was not swamped with chaplains coming to talk to the guys who were dying of AIDS, HIV. Was not swamped. In fact, the whole time I was there for that whole year, not a soul once came. But I knew the Lord. I knew where he was. I knew where I was. And just like that leper in, in verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, I went to him. Went out to him, fall down on my knees. Lord, same words. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I don't know why, but he made me clean. A few years later, I'm at uh, Calvary Chapel Redlands. There's a couple of uh, twins, young kids, who were hemophiliacs, and they went to to get blood and or to get blood. And when they went to get blood, someone had given tainted blood. They given blood with the HIV virus in it. And so these two little kids, I think they were like I don't know, somewhere between six and eight. They 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 contract the same disease I had. And as a church, we're circled around and we're laying hands on them. We're praying, God. Man, make it all go away. If you are willing, you can make them clean. And God said, no. Man, I had a hard time with that. If my life was as far as I was concerned at that time, not so much today, but then, that's over. Gosh, I'm like 30. There's not life after 30, but these kids... They're little. They haven't done anything yet. But the Lord took them. You ever been disappointed with God? Frustrated with His plans? Upset about the whys? Why did this have to happen? Lord, why did you have to take them? Why did you have to take Him? Why did you have to move in this way? And God, just so you know, God doesn't give you any answers 
He just says, trust me. And that's hard. That's just where the rubber meets the road. Listen, when you come to that point, to that crossroad in your life, and you want to be able to say, yes, Lord, I trust you, even though, like Job, even though he slay me, yet I will serve him. Even though he slay me, yet I will worship him. No matter what happens, you're my God. It's me and you till the wheels fall off. You want to get to that point, you've got to progress. And if you want to progress, the first place we start is knowing that if you're an outcast, Jesus Christ came for you. If you're a sinner, Jesus Christ came for you. If you're sitting there right now thinking, I'm not a sinner and I haven't done any of these things wrong, you're probably in the wrong place. Not because you're not really a sinner, but because Jesus can't help you if you don't know that you're a sinner. Jesus can't help you if you don't know that you need to throw out your arms to him and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. If you don't understand that you've got to go before God and repent of your sin, not excuse it. Just say, God, I'm unclean. But if you're willing, you can make me clean. The beauty is that's why he came. That's what he's here for. That's what he's come to do. That's what he's come to work in our life. And we read about it in Matthew chapter 8. As the scripture tells us in beginning in verse 1, it says, When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. Great multitudes followed him. That's Bible speak for tons of people. Everywhere he turned, there was someone. And pretty soon you're going to realize everywhere he turned, there was someone who needed something from him. You know what I love about Jesus? He never gets ticked that they're there. He never once says to someone, that last person who asked him for something, oh my goodness, can't you give me a break? Can I just get a couple of minutes? He never says that. The reason that's so important is is that he's always got an ear for you. He's always got an ear for your trouble, for your frustration, for what is ailing you. He's always listening. He's always there. Even on 9-11-2001. He's there. Why, Lord? He's quiet. He just resounds with that same phrase. Will you trust me? Behold, in verse 2, a leper came out and worshipped him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus put out his hand and he touched him. And he said, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. It was gone. Just like that. What do we take from that? Whatever the storm is you're going through, I don't care what stage it's in. I've had the... Blessing of being able to be in a hospital when someone's going home to be with the Lord. He's going to heaven, watch the last breath. I've been there when they thought that they were going and they weren't. And God still had plans for them. Here's what I know. Any moment of your life, 
of your storm, of your depression, of your struggle, of your whatever it is. Any moment, God can reach out and touch you, and it's gone by that. Any moment. So, it is always too soon to quit. It's always too soon to give up. It's always too soon to be frustrated with God. What did the frustration I had with God lead to? 13 years that I can never get back. 13 years if God went left, I went right. 13 years of of doing things that were so hurtful. Who knows the people I hurt through the things and the choices that I had, the things that I did. But I always hold on to that promise in Joel chapter 2. When the Lord said, if you, through your frustration and disobedience with me, you turn your back on me, I'm going to send the locusts. Everybody knows what the locusts do, right? They're going to eat everything in your life. They're going to eat your stuff. They're going to eat your money. They're going to eat your time. They're going to take it all. But Joel goes on to say, but if you turn to me, I will give you back the years the locusts ate. I don't get to go back in time and get those 13 years again. But through Jesus Christ, I can redeem the time. Those 13 wasted years apart from Christ are useless. But in Christ Jesus, they minister life. They minister life. Just like Jesus touching the leper. Doing the one thing that he needed. In verse 4, he said, Now see that you tell no one, but go your way and show yourself to the priests. And offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Leviticus chapter 14 tells what that gift is. If you want to hear about it, we got a tape from last week. You can check it out. But the, the idea is, he said, he called this man specifically to go and be a witness to the priests. For all the, their time as priests and their father's time and their father's father's time, a leper had never come and presented himself to be cleansed. But when Jesus' ministry for three years... The priests were busy learning how to do it. Because Jesus was touching them as a sign that Messiah was here. He's touching the outcast. In the first four verses, it's a leper. But then we turn our attention to someone else. We turn our attention to a Gentile. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now, instead of a, a man like the leper coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, a friend. Does anybody have friends that aren't walking with the Lord? That are blowing it, that are making dumb decisions and doing dumb things. Well, listen, take a lesson from a centurion. Because not only did Jesus come to the outcast, he always makes himself available to the friends of those who are in need. And so the centurion comes to him. Now, the centurion's a pretty important guy in his world. What I love about the Bible, the Bible always looks at the centurions in a in a Good light. They always look to be good people, gentle, kind. 
seemed to have their, their head on their shoulder. I always took that to mean that they were enlisted. If you were an officer, sorry, I was enlisted, so that's why. I always thought they would some master guns. That's the way master guns were. The, the sergeant major, that's the way he was. And so I took him to be like that. And here you got the sergeant major, this guy, that the top of his totem pole and where he's at. And he comes and he says, my servant. Now, most of the people in Rome, if their servant was sick, would shoot him. Well, they didn't have a gun. But you get the idea, right? If your servant was sick, they killed him. Why am I going to spend money? He's just a thing. If he can't work, I kill him. I got more. Well, just pull in another servant or another slave. But not this guy. He comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus for someone, a servant that works for him that he cares about. And the centurion, when Jesus says, okay, I'll come and heal him, the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, and I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So Jesus marveled. It's only twice in Scripture that Jesus marveled. Once here for the faith of the centurion, the second time for the unbelief of his own people. He marvels at his faith. He didn't need to see some spectacular sign. He didn't need to have some big show or fancy lights or any of that stuff. All he needed was to go before the Lord, ask him to bring his healing, his touch, and then whatever you say, you don't have to come to my house, you don't have to come through my door, you don't have to go just, if you say he's going to be well, he's going to be well. For you and I, is that how you receive God's word? If you said it, you said it. I don't need to see anything. I don't need to know anything special. If you said this is how it is, then that's how it is. Because that's how the centurion's faith was. Hey, if you say he's going to be healed, then I believe it. So when God's word calls out to you in the midst of your uh, darkness or your storm or whatever the thing is that's going on in your life, when God's word calls out to you and says, I will never leave you or forsake you, can you say, "Ah, I believe it. I believe it. Even if I don't see it in my house. Even if I don't see it walk through my front door, I can take that word because you, God, have authority. And if you speak it, it comes to being. How did creation occur? In the beginning, God, right? He spoke and it happened. Throughout the scriptures, God calls upon his people to believe his word more than the things they see. He says it like this, that we're to walk by faith and what? Not by sight. Why? Because our sight lies to us, doesn't it? So the centurion says, Lord, you just speak it and I'll believe it. You just say it and I'll believe it. 
So God lays out his word. The question's still there for us. There are some questions that God won't answer. But for this man, he does the work. What's the word say? And Jesus, when he heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Man, this guy was blowing away the Lord. And I say to you, many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out to outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, this was radical teaching in Jesus' time because the Jews taught that basically if you were born a Jew, you were saved. You're good. You're born a Jew. But Jesus said, no, in those days, many will come from east and west. People will come from all over. But the sons of the kingdom, the ones to whom the oracles of God were entrusted, to whom the word was given, mm. They're not going to make it just because of their race. Any more than we're going to make it because our mom or dad's a Christian. Or our grandparents were Christians. Every single one of us has to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't have that relationship through a friend, through a spouse. We have that relationship ourselves with him. Personal relationship. With God, Jesus said, hey, there are people here, Pharisees and all these uppity up religious types, you know. They always looked right. They always looked good. They never wore flip-flops to church. You notice I don't have my flip-flops on today? Had a bad game at Castle Ford and I was wearing them, so they got burnt. <laughs> I have to get a new pair of flip-flops. <clears throat> in the meantime, I'll be in shoes. But these guys, they would never do that. They always wore a tie. They always were, they had the, the right stuff. The right stuff. On the outside. But not on the inside. And Jesus is saying, man, just because you're born here, just because you grew up in this place, if he was here today, he'd say, just because you're in the United States doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you're in America doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you walk into church does not make you a Christian. Let me define for you what a Christian is. One who has gone before the Lord and acknowledged that the sin in his life is indeed sin. Has not said, oh, it's, everybody's doing it, so it's okay. No, he went before the Lord and said, God, I'm a sinner. If you are willing, you can cleanse me. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we're made clean. There's nothing we did. It's everything he did. But it's got to start there. It's got to start at a place where we acknowledge that we need a Savior. And we call out for him. And he brings his salvation. And now we have a personal relationship. And just what Jesus said about this centurion is true about you. That you will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That you will enter into the kingdom of God because you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jesus looks to the centurion and he says to the centurion, Go your way. Go your way. As you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that very hour. The first outcast, a leper nobody wanted to have anything to do with, Jesus He went to Jesus and Jesus touched him and made him clean. 
The next guy we see, he can't even get there. A friend of his goes for him. I love the, the, the perseverance and endurance of my wife. I think she learned that by being married to me. But one of the things that I really respect about her is she had a sister totally lost, totally in the world. And she prayed for her sister for 10 years without fail. And today her sister is saved. There is no reason to ever stop, to ever quit asking, to ever quit bringing that friend, that person before the Lord and claiming the promises of Scripture. Saying, Lord, here, your word says, God, will you move in their life? Lord, will you draw them unto you? And so we see the second case. Now we move on to the third. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. Now, for those of you who believe that Peter was the first pope and was not married, you have a problem in this verse. Trust me. Not too many guys will invite their mother-in-law to live with them if they're not married. <laughs> Jesus, comes, Jesus comes walking into the house. And then he, as he walks into the house, and here's really what I want, I want you guys to see here. As Jesus walks into the house, there's Peter's wife's mother. She's sick. She's sick. Lying with a fever. And the scripture says, so, so he touched her hand. He reached out. The word for touch is he just gave this tender touch to her hand. And the fever left her, and she arose and served. Nobody asked Jesus that time. She didn't ask. Peter didn't ask. Jesus just saw that she needed a touch. And he reached over and touched her. Listen, Jesus sees you. He sees you in your despair. Because in those days, nobody cared about a woman. It did, she didn't matter. She's sick, you know, put her off in the back room, don't even think about her. But she mattered to Jesus. Nobody cared about the servant of a centurion. But the servant of the centurion mattered to Jesus. Nobody cared about the leper. But the leper mattered to Jesus. And if you think nobody cares about you, you need to hear this. Jesus cares about you. He cares so much that he died for you. He became the sacrifice that you need to have a relationship with God. Before you ever asked, just so it would be available to you if you would reach out. And grab a hold of the salvation that God offers. He cares. He loves us. And immediately when Jesus touches us, just like when he touched uh, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, we want to serve him. We want to do something for him. Hey, there's nothing I can do to earn what Jesus did for me. There's nothing I can do to earn the love that he gave me or the, or the miracle that he did in my life. There's nothing I can do to ever measure up or to, or, or, or to even live my life so good that it was worth it. There's nothing I can do. 
But having a touch of Jesus in my life makes me want to serve him. I want to do something for him. And we don't even have to, it don't even have to be crazy. It don't have to be standing in front of a bunch of people and preaching. It can be just sharing with your neighbor, looking at someone who's hurting at the gas station, crying and walking over and saying, can I pray for you? It's simple stuff. But giving ourselves to the one who gave everything for me, oh, that is my, as Paul would write in Romans, my reasonable act of worship. That I present my body a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. And allow him to use my hands, use my feet, take me where he needs me to go and to serve. So that's what Jesus did. He touched her, she served. He reached out to the outcasts of society. He reached out to those nobody cared about. Sometimes they asked him, sometimes someone else asked him, sometimes nobody asked him. But Jesus, nonetheless, was working in their life. But it says in verse 16, When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all the sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. Isaiah, when he's talking about the suffering servant of the coming of Messiah, one of the things he says we'll, we'll recognize him by is the fact that he's going to take away our sickness. He's going to take our infirmities. And what he's talking about is Jesus' earthly ministry. He's not talking about his time on the cross. The time on the cross, the scripture goes on to say in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes we are healed. And 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us what that healing is. That he heals us from sin. He heals us from sin, for by his stripes we're set free. We're free at last. If we live in bondage today, it's a bondage of our own choice. But Jesus Christ has done it all, he's done everything that needed to be done. He did that work, but his work on, on earth, as he was walking on earth, when he walked by, what was it like to be with him? One day, there's his mom thinking her life is over. Her son is in a casket. They're walking out of Jerusalem, and they just happen to walk out a gate that Jesus is walking in. And as Jesus is walking by the procession, he reaches out and touches the casket, the box, and he wakes up. Because Jesus is always giving life to the dead. See, the scripture tells in Ephesians chapter 2 that you and I are dead in our trespasses and sin. But when Jesus touches us, he makes us alive in Christ Jesus. He makes us alive. He gives us that abundant life, unquenchable life. A life that cannot be lost, a life that cannot be, cannot suffer anything but to be given away. So the people hear about these, these three healings and they just come. And they come and Jesus ministers to them until he's done, until they're gone. Every once in a while, I got to open this up and I got to read it. 
Every once in a while, I got to open it up and say, you know what? Jesus never griped that somebody needed him. Jesus never griped that somebody needed to talk. Jesus never griped that somebody needed visited. Jesus never, he just did it. I got to remind myself of that. And if we're honest, probably most of us need to be reminded of it too. Because there's lots of opportunity for us to touch the lives of others around us. To minister, to be his hands and feet. In verse 18 it says, Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to depart to the other side. And at that time a certain scribe came to him and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now Jesus, is, he, he sees the crowds coming and he, he needs, he knows, listen, he knows right now that there are two lives that are in such disrepair and destruction and bondage and just worthless lives. And he knows, i got to get to those guys. So he says, guys, we got to go help. we got to go over here. We're going to go, get in a boat, go over to the other side. And as they're getting ready to go, a scribe comes up to him and says, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Have you ever felt like that? Uh, uh, maybe something happens at, at church, something the Lord touches your heart, and you really feel encouraged, and you just, you just say, man, God, I'll follow you wherever you go. I remember what you're saying. Because Jesus responds to this guy by saying, listen, discipleship is going to cost. There's no difference, just so we're clear, between the saved and the disciple. Some people want to make a distinction. They want to say, well, you can be saved, and then if you go on with the Lord, you can be a disciple. I I don't see that distinction made in Scripture. So when he says, Lord, I'll follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. He's saying, man, I want to walk in salvation with you. And the Lord says to him, rather than saying, right on, brother, here, say this, do this, fill this out, turn in your membership card, and and you're good to go. That's not what Jesus said to him. Jesus said, well, the scripture tells us, he said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus said, if you follow me, I am not promising you a rose garden. I am not promising you that everything in life is going to just be smooth. Because me, the Son of Man, Messiah, Mashiach Nagid, I don't even have anywhere to lay my head. But it doesn't matter. I don't need anywhere to lay my head. All I need, my food, my sustenance, my family, Jesus said, is to do the will of my Father. Now, if you would come and follow me, that's the attitude he wants of us. It's not about what we got. It's not about the stuff. He who dies with the most toys has the biggest bonfire. That's it. That's it. We don't need any of that stuff. And that's what Jesus says to this guy, the scribe, who wants to come. He wants to come. Scripture doesn't tell us what happened. Maybe he did. All Jesus said to him was, man, there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost in regard to following me. And another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said, you follow me. 
And let the, be- let the dead bury their own dead. What that man was saying is, Lord, I'm going to follow you one day. Not right now. But one day I'm going to follow you. That phrase, let me bury my father, can mean several different things. Maybe you guys have heard about it. The, the most probable deal is that his dad wasn't dead yet. And he's waiting for his dad to pass away. And then he'll be able to follow Jesus. But until his dad dies, he's got to do the stuff. He's got to run the family business. He's got to take care of those things that he needs to take care of at home. But as soon as his dad dies, then he can go. Then I can follow you, Lord. But the Lord says, listen, it's more important for you to turn your back on the spiritually dead, to be filled with spiritual life so that you can then take your spiritual life and give it to the dead and watch them rise to life. Then it is for you to, to run the family business. I always think about Gerald when I think about this verse. Because Gerald had a humongous farm. Pastor Gerald out in California. Humongous farm, multi-million dollar farm. And it was all his. All his. It's all his. All the other sons had gone their own way. They didn't want to farm no more, but Gerald was, you know, farm USA. That's what he wanted, man. He just that's all he wanted. And then Jesus came into his life. And then Jesus said, I have a different call for you. And so he left the farm. And you say, Oh, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is he was disowned for doing it. He was disowned for following Jesus. But when he left, the Lord gave him a promise. Because you've chosen to do this, one day your father will come to know me. And about 10 years later, when his father was dying, he called for his son they were reconciled and he accepted Jesus into his life that's what Jesus is saying here he's he's not being rude and saying oh don't worry about them he's saying listen it's more important that you minister life than you worry about someone dying you're going to wait around till your dad dies but what your dad really needs is a life of the gospel he needs a life of Jesus Christ poured into him So let's be about that. Let's be about this. Listen, come follow me. Be filled with the life of God and give that to your dad. Give that to him. Folks, it's the only thing that matters. It's it. All the other things, you know, just kind of fade in comparison to that question. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your personal savior? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you been set free? Everything pales in comparison to that. The most important thing that we can be doing, the most important thing that we can be about. So when he had said this, he got into a boat and his disciples followed him. I like this verse. This is one of the ones I like to stick on my fridge. Because they went where he went. Jesus got in a boat, they got in it with him. There's a few of us that see Jesus get in a boat and we're not wanting to get in. Uh, No, Lord, I don't want to go there. No, Lord, I don't want to do that. Being a disciple of Jesus means, well, we follow him. Where he goes, we go. 
Now, maybe you and I know the story. Do you know where the boat's going? I can tell you, it's going into a horrendous storm. We're talking about guys who have spent their life on the sea, fishing, been in all kinds of storms. They are going to freak out because this storm is so incredible, so insane. But Jesus gets in the boat. They don't know that what's ahead, but they're willing. They're willing to follow him. They climb in that boat. And it says in verse 24, Suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea so that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. You ever been in one of those emergencies of life and felt like maybe God was sleeping and not paying attention? Lord, where are you? God, do you see what's going on in my life? Do you see the chaos? Have you heard me give you the deadlines about you have to move by this time, Lord, or I don't know what we're going to do. But Jesus tells us something. He tells us in his actions that there is always rest in the will of God. There is always peace in the will of God. If we trust, when we trust, as we trust, we can experience that perfect peace that passes understanding. We can have it. We cannot have it when we're frustrated, when we're leaning upon our own understanding, when we're trying to do all these other things. But when we're trusted in the Lord with all our heart, and we're not leaning into our own understanding, in everything we do, when we acknowledge Him, then He, He guides our steps. He gives us peace. And we can sleep. We can sleep in the arms of God. So Jesus is sleeping. And the disciples are freaking out. The disciples come to him and they wake him up and they say, Lord, save us, we're perishing. That's Bible speak for help, we're dying. That's what they're saying. Help. Lord, do something. Now I don't know what... They're expecting, because we know their answer in a moment. They were not expecting what he did. I'm not sure what they, what they wanted, if they needed his help on, a, on the sails, if they wanted his help throwing buckets of water over the side. I'm not sure what they were thinking. But I guarantee you they weren't thinking what they got. The storm is going, the wind is blowing, Lord help us, we're perishing. And he says to them, why are you afraid? Oh, you have little faith. Listen, please, listen. Man, the Lord's saying that to us in so many ways. When the doctor said, cancer. When the doctor said, I don't think there's anything we can do. All the things that might face us in life. The answer from God is the same. Why are you afraid? Don't you believe I love you? Don't you believe I care about you? Don't you believe what I said in my word when I said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope? Don't you believe me? Don't you believe that that I can move? Don't you believe that I can touch? Don't you believe that I'll give you the strength you need for the journey you have to take? Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. 
You know the great news? Their faith didn't need to measure up in order for God to move. Why are you afraid, O oh, oh, ye of little faith? And he, then he arose. He didn't keep going. He got up and he spoke to them. And he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled. God was marveling with the centurion. Now the disciples are marveling. And they said, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this? I mean, it was one thing to see him do all these healings and all these miracles, but to, to shout at the wind and it stops? To holler at the waves and they go flat? Man, who is this? This is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh. God come to make a way. Calling the outcast. Calling the ones whose lives are all messed up. Calling the ones whose world is upside down. That's who he's going to. The ones who need him. In fact, he just arrived. Verse 28, it says, And when he had come to the other side of the country of the Gergesenes, there he met two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. That's who Jesus was going to see. You get it? He wasn't trying to get away from the crowd so he could go find peace. He was saying, man, we got to get over there. Because there's these two guys who are demon-possessed, who are chained in a, in a graveyard, living among the dead, in bondage to this horrible sin that as Satan is working in their life. And I'm sure Satan whispered in their ears in the beginning, it's all going to be good. And then he brings the hammer down. That's the only thing Satan knows how to do is lie, kill, steal, and destroy. That's it. And so society sees these two guys. And they say, these guys are a menace. They're always getting in trouble. They're always causing grief. So here's what we'll do to them. Chain them fools up in a graveyard. And they put them in institutions. And they did all these things to them. But you know what society was enabled to do? Change them. Society can't change them. Satan won't, but God does. The power of a changed life. That's what Jesus went across the water for. He went across the water and came to those guys. And suddenly these two guys, these two demons, they cry out and they said, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? That whole phrase, we get it wrong. When they say, Son of God, they're calling him God in the flesh. You're cheating, God. What have we to do with you? It's not our time. Have you come here to torment us before the time? Have you come here to torment us? Now, Matthew's not going to focus on all the things that went on. You have to read Mark or Luke to get the rest of the story. But here Jesus comes to these two guys and the demons inside of them, they, they call out to him. And the demon says, his name is Legion, for we are many. So there's multiple demons inside these guys. Ruining their life. 
Their world is upside down. They're living in a graveyard. They can't do anything. They're running around naked and nobody wants to be with them. Their families can't stand them. Nobody wants to touch them, be near them. And Jesus goes out of his way to get on a boat to go across the Sea of Galilee just so he can change their life. You see, getting in a boat and going across the Sea of Galilee is really not that much trouble when you've already left the throne room of heaven and come in the flesh. And your whole purpose is looking forward to the cross where you will give your life as a ransom for many. So Jesus went. Now as he's talking to these guys, the demons know it's over. They're not wondering. I hate movies about demons. The movies about demons should be really short. But it's always this long, drawn out, is the demon going to leave? Isn't the demon going to leave? Jesus never had that problem. He spoke, they left. Guy said, doesn't make a very good movie. (laughs) He spoke, they left. That's how it works. That's how it works. The Bible's clear. Resist the devil and he will flee. So here they they come and they, they look off and they see a big herd of pigs. Big herd of pigs. And the demons pray to God. Did you know demons prayed? Well, that's what the scripture says. So the demons begged him. That word for begged him, same word for prayer. So the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. Oh Lord, if you're going to cast us out, rather than send us to the abuso or the pit or the lake of fire, send us into those pigs. And so Jesus has just one phrase to say. He said to them, Go. And they went. Just like that. So they went into the herd of swine. But what did I tell you the devil does? The devil come to rob, steal, kill, destroy. That's it. So as soon as they get into the pigs, what happens? Suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the water. That's what the devil does. He destroys. He steals. Then those who kept them, these are the pig herders. Thanks. I was thinking, it's not a pig shepherd. What is it? (laughs) Pig herder. So those who kept them fled, and they went into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. Woo, man, it's going to be an incredible revival, right? Because Jesus just came across the sea and he touched these two guys that nobody could help. And now they're in their right minds. Now they've been set free. Now the power of God is working in their life. Their lives are radically altered, radically changed. See, that's what salvation really looks like. There's a radical change. There's a change in our lives. Our lives are never the same again. And so they come to him and they saw him. And they begged him to leave. So we have the prayer of the demons. Lord, let us go into the pig. The Lord says, go. We got the prayer of the people. Lord, will you leave this place? And the Lord goes. 
Those are things God will always honor. But there's one other prayer Matthew doesn't tell us about. You've got to turn to Mark to see that prayer. If you turn to, to Mark chapter 5, we can take a look at it real quick. Mark chapter 5, verse 17, they began to plead with him to depart their region. That's the people telling Jesus to go home. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. The third prayer. Oh, the guy that was demon-possessed. At least one of them came to Jesus and said, Lord, I want to go with you. Well, you set me free. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. The Lord heard the prayer of the demon and said, go. The Lord heard the prayer of the people and left. The Lord heard the prayer of this man and said, no. You can't come. Jesus did not permit him. But he said to him, go home. To your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he had compassion on you. Jesus came, delivered, restored. But when he asked to be able to go with Jesus, Jesus said no. Not, I got another job for you. See, when we come to the Lord, we come and we give our life to him. He takes that life. And now he knows how to make that life really matter. And he wants to know, if you're willing, are you willing just to let it go? When Jesus bids a man come he bids a man come and die to yourself and live for him and that's what this guy did Jesus went to the outcasts wherever he could find them and everywhere he found them he changed their life forever he was doing it 2000 years ago He's still doing it today. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for an opportunity, God, to come before you, to study your word, Lord, to, to see the hand of God move then as now. To know, Lord, that you come for me. You come for me in the darkness of my despair and my wickedness. And you stopped it all and you turned my life around. Just as you were giving life to the dead, you still do it today. Just as you touch the outcast or the leper, just as you worked through the friend, the centurion who wanted you to heal, just as you just touched gently Peter's mother-in-law. And brought healing to her life. Just as you encouraged the ones who came to you and said, I'll go wherever you go. I want to follow you. And you said, it's not going to be easy. But it'll be worth it. So much more important to work with life rather than looking for death. And Lord, you went across the sea. 
because there were two guys that nobody cared about. There were two men that everyone had given up on, except for you. And Lord, I believe there are at least that many here today given up on. But you're here. And you want to change their life. It don't have to be this way no more. Don't have to be this way. Give it up. Give it over. Reach up your hand to God and say, If you are willing, you can make me clean. I promise you, there is only one answer you will get in response. He is willing. He is able. And He will do it. So as we gather in this place, anybody here today, anybody here tired of the garbage life's been given, the frustration, and you feel like you need to say to the Lord, God, I've been so frustrated and angry, going in the wrong direction, and I need you to move in my life. All you have to do go before the Lord and say Lord if you are willing you can make me clean I promise you he only gives one answer I am willing God I pray today nobody walks out the back of this church without having a right relationship with you because that's the only thing that matters Holy Spirit move in this place God bring change lasting change change lives Lord Jesus make us new and as you do your work in our life Lord Jesus we will give you all the honor do your name. As we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.